me out of the monitors. Turn the mic down. Hallelujah. Good. Still too loud. <clears throat> All right. That's better. I'm Cameron Wright. I'm glad to be here. Glad that you're here uh, worshiping the Lord. Uh, and uh, we want to jump into uh, the, the message, uh, the Sermon on the Mount. We've been uh, teaching through verse by verse the sermon and taking our time. We actually are near the end. I think there's only probably going to be about four more weeks. And then we'll wrap up the Sermon on the Mount. Um, and Jesus' sermon uh, is really the vision statement for His kingdom. It's what He expects for His disciples and so if you haven't been here for the earlier sessions, uh, to understand uh, uh, the context of this is Jesus is explaining the kingdom of God and it's like his inaugural address and clearly giving us a picture of what he envisions the kingdom of God, which the church is here to, to implement and to fulfill. And uh, it's, it's, a, it's a great way to understand what Jesus expects from his disciples. Um, and he's been teaching <clears throat> on the kingdom lifestyle that distinguishes us as his disciples. Uh, characteristics that set us apart. There's a loud hum. Yes. Okay. Just or maybe the neighbor's lawnmower. Okay, I don't know what it is. But there it went away. Praise God. Thank you, Peter. <laughs> All right, went down. All right. Oh, so some of the things that are distinguishing uh, characteristics that we've been covered over the last couple of weeks is we're not to be materialistic or greedy, but generous and heavenly minded. We're not to be anxious. Jesus said, don't worry. That's what we talked about a few weeks ago. But rather trust in our heavenly Father. We're not to be judgmental. Uh, but rather live in a holy community. And this week we're going to talk about uh, being persistent. So it's a very common verse. It's uh, chapter 7 of Matthew, verses 7 through 12. We'll read through it, and then we'll just talk about it uh, a little bit. In the New King James, it says this, Ask, and it will be given to you. Uh, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. Or what man is there among you who, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? <clears throat> if you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask Him? Therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. And so we're going to dig into this a little bit, take it kind of verse by verse, but I like how the New Living Translation translates this first part. So we're going to read it 7 and 8 again in the New Living Translation. And it goes like this, Keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be opened. For everyone who asks receives, everyone who seeks finds, everyone who knocks, uh, the door will be opened. So the words... In the Greek, Jesus' words that he used <clears throat> for the words ask, seek, and knock in the Greek are present tense imperatives. And what that means is that it indicates continuous. Everybody say continuous. Continuous. Persistent. Say persistent. Persistent. Prayer. So continuous persistent. <laughs> continuous persistent. It doesn't say ask and then 
Well, I asked last week. That's not what he says. He says, ask as in present tense. Mm -hmm. So, when do you live? Do you live in past tense? No, sometimes. <laughs> I don't. You don't? Do you live in future tense? Sometimes. Yes. <laughs> no, you're not living in the future. Back to the future. Yeah. Uh, what's the what's the scientist's name? Doc. Doc. doc yeah. Yeah. You think you're Doc or something? <laughs> no, we live in the present. For those of you who may have missed your alarm clock, <laughs> we live in the present. So our prayer needs to be in the present and continuous, continuous in the present, uh, 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 making our request known. And a little bit more. Let's just look at the definition of some of these words. The word "ask" <clears throat> can actually be translated "beg," "call for." And I like to crave, you know, desire, require. So this is not a casual, hey God, you know, if you're not too busy. You know, we have requests like that. And it's okay to have prayers like that. Uh, you know, God, it's, it's good to let everything in your heart. Some people are afraid to pray things. You don't have to be afraid to pray anything. God wants you to talk to Him. You talk to Him about everything. Read the Psalms. You know, I forget how many, almost a third of the Psalms, I think, are laments. Which are basically a nice way to say complaints. You know, well, oh God, how long are you going to wait to hear my prayer? That's David. And it's okay uh, to say those kind of things. But what Jesus is talking about, about <clears throat> is asking for something that you're craving for, you're, you're, you're desiring, you require. You know? uh, the second word is to seek. <clears throat> seek in order to find out. In other words, you, it's intentional. Again, it's not passive. It's, it's with the intention. I'm going to find this. I'm going to keep looking like when I need a tool and in my garage. Sometimes I've I got to find it. I'm like, I had it five minutes ago. And you're looking, you're looking, you're looking. <clears throat> you know, and then you go, where did I put it? You start thinking about it. You're meditating on it. Reasoning. Reasoning is an active, legitimate way to find things from God. Is using your mind, your reason. Inquiring. Asking questions. Google it. Uh, ask friends. All right? But it's, a, it's, it's you're taking action. <clears throat> Strive after, again, the crave. So it's a strong word. And then knock is to take action. To literally, uh, to get up out of your seat, to pound on the door. You know? So I could, I could be saying, oh, boy, <clears throat> I kind of would like a donut. You know? Bless you. So I might, I might ask, hey, honey, do we have any donuts? Uh, could you give me a donut? And that's one level. Like, maybe she would, and she probably wouldn't. <laughs> I love. Make you salad. Yeah, she'd make me a salad. <laughs> give me a carrot. <laughs> you know, but if I really want a donut, and you think about it, think about a donut for a while. It's sweet water's donut. And all of a sudden, when it gets to the point of you want, you start looking, and you get up out of the chair, and you start seeking. You go to the cupboard. Any donuts? You go to the refrigerator, any donuts? You go back to the cupboard, any donuts since the last time I looked? You know, you look, you're seeking, you're doing something. And then <clears throat> the knocking is actually taking action. By golly, I, I, I need a donut! <laughs> so you get in the car and you drive to the donut store. Okay? And so that's the idea of a progression. 
And so one of the things, uh, part of this study is to give you a little tips on Bible study. And so look for progressions. Ask, seek, and knock are actually progression. Ask is one level, seeking is the next level, uh, and knocking is, is taking action, so it's bringing it to another level. So it's a, <clears throat> Jesus is giving us both a, a powerful a combination, really, of a command and a promise. He's telling us what to do in very strong words. These all three words are, uh, you know, uh, uh, imperatives uh, in the present tense. So they're strong words. But he's also giving us a promise that if we do these things, uh, our prayer is going to be answered. So the command is don't give up, but rather ramp up. <laughs> don't give up, ramp up. All right? Don't give up your prayer. Don't give up what you're seeking. Ramp it up. Take it to the next level. And the promise is we will receive. All right? Seeking is more aggressive than merely asking and knocking is getting physical about it. So Jesus is definitely talking about prayer. <clears throat> um, there's no question and it's legitimate to apply this verse as it normally is, re- is, is taught. And most people read this thinking Jesus is talking about prayer. And it's not inappropriate, it's not uh, wrong, but I want to challenge you to see if that's what he's, if that's merely what he's talking about. He's definitely talking about whatever you ask from the Father, because he he mentions that in a minute. Uh, But I think he's talking about something bigger. Alright? So I challenge you to think about this. Uh, And the question is, what is the it? Uh, He says, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you shall find. Not, and the door it will be open to you. I don't believe the word door. I'd have to check on that. But there's an uh, when you look at the text, it, he's talking about something. Mm-hmm. And, and and often and it's appropriate to take verses and understand them as like a little nutshell. But often we treat all of Scripture like proverbs, and proverbs is actually written to be like one verse or two verses. They're, they're a compilation of wise sayings, and most of them are just one or two verses long. Some of them are repetitive. But most scripture is not written like Proverbs, and it's actually in a context. <laughs> okay. And so to really understand what Jesus is talking about here, you've you got to realize this is just a few sentences in a sermon. And we've been taking almost this whole year to look at each of these sentences of the sermon. So let's think about it in the context of this sermon that he's just been talking about not being judgmental, not being worrying, not being uh, anxious, and all of these attributes of what distinguishes, what uh, makes a disciple a disciple, what makes the kingdom the kingdom, all of these things he's been talking about. And then he says, ask and it will be given to you. Well, maybe he's talking about everything that he's been referring to. Okay? And it all started out saying, your righteousness must exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees and the scribes. For us, Pharisees and scribes are some distant idea. When's the last time you, you met a real Pharisee? You know, with the robes and the thing on his forehead. <clears throat> How many know what the thing on his forehead was? Really, how many know about the thing on the forehead? One, two, three, four. Look it up. <laughs> it's a real deal. It's a, uh, anyway. So we don't know what those things are. But Jesus, everybody in the congregation that was listening to Jesus knew exactly. Those were the most, those were the people that were, were the fanatics. Religious fanatics. 
And he's saying your righteousness must exceed that. And then he describes what that righteousness looks like, that it goes beyond merely wearing things on your forehead to having it in your heart and having it uh, dictate how you think and how you feel and how you react. So it's this greater righteousness, I think, that this is primarily referring not just to prayer requests, but to the implementation, okay, into your life, say my life. Of everything Jesus has been talking about. All of the kingdom characteristics are not merely moral requirements that we must live up to. In order to understand Christianity, in order to understand the Sermon on the Mount, in order to understand Jesus, you have to understand that He's not just giving us a new Ten Commandments. That's good. Alright? The Sermon on the Mount is uh, not just a new law. It's not like the Christian version of the law. Uh, that, uh, that, if, if, that we have to obey all these things or we'll get in trouble. No, it's much, much further than that because it's actually things we can't fulfill apart from God as the law was. It's actually a fuller understanding uh, of, of what God has always said. The, it's the fruit of the kingdom of God. The, 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 the kingdom characteristics are the fruit. All the things that Jesus has been talking about, the greater righteousness is the fruit of God's kingdom in us. Uh, the kingdom of heaven is within you, Jesus said. It's within your reach. And, and, and the kingdom righteousness is the evidence of being sons and daughters. Let me ask you, how much striving does it take for an apple tree to grow an apple? Does it have to think about it? Does it have to go, oh, I really want to grow an apple. I'll try. I'll try to grow an apple, but then sometimes that orange pops out. (laughs) (laughs) That's ridiculous, right? Why do apple trees grow apples? Because they're apple trees. Right? It's genetic. They just are who they are, and an apple pops out. You know? And, uh, you know, I grew up, there were wild apple trees. We had our orchard. And, of course, if you, if you tend an orchard, the apples look nicer and the bugs don't, so they're not deformed. But we'd hike out in the woods, <clears throat> and there was a way out in the woods. We lived, I could hike for hours. And uh, there, there was an old uh, stone foundation, so someone used to live there um, way, way long time ago. And, uh, and they had an orchard because we found their apple trees. It was like a, a whole collection and there were apples on those. They, they were kind of deformed, but you could eat them. You know? And those apple trees hadn't been tended for probably 50 years, maybe 70 years. A long time, because no one had lived there in a long time. It's all owned by the county now. Uh, so apple trees, in the same way, our true identity, when you're born again into faith as, as believers, when you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, there's a transformation of your identity. Who you are changes. Alright, we are new creations in Christ. And so to live Christian character, to live Christ-like is natural within us. And we have to understand that that's what, the, the, uh, that's what Jesus has been talking about. What that natural outcome looks like. Here's another <clears throat> description, another verse that talks about this same idea. In, uh, 2 Peter, <clears throat> verse 1, 2 through 4. Now this is Peter, this is the same Peter that walked with Jesus. It's the same disciple that was always putting his foot squarely in his mouth. 
right? <coughs> uh, he'd say he was a, he was a kind of obnoxious, outspoken guy, but um, you know there was something about him that he just he just was willing to go for it, get out of the boat and walk on the water when the rest were too scared. But he's an old man when he writes this, and he's writing to the church long after uh, Jesus rose from the dead, and and uh, churches now had been established, uh, certainly all throughout Jerusalem and, and and much of Asia, and even into Europe probably by the time this letter is written, and and he's communicating the same truth. It says grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, as His divine power, bless you, has given to us. All things that pertain to life and godliness. Alright? He's already given. You know? How many want something? Seriously. How many would like a new car? Alright? What if I told you it's already given to you? Your car is already given. What if you knew it was already given? It changes your attitude, doesn't it? Right? Just knowing that. Maybe you don't have the keys yet. We can think of that in, in, a, in a thing like a car. Let's translate that to thinking about it in, in uh, everything that pertains to life and godliness. Uh, yeah. yes. All right? We've already been given. It's already yours. Say, it's already mine. It's already mine. Through the knowledge of Him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. So Peter is saying that through the promises of God that we know by coming into relationship with Jesus Christ, it's already been given to us. We can partake of it. It's been given, but then to partake of it is when you take Part of it. Alright? Especially when you consume something. You partake of the body and blood of the Lord Jesus. You ingest it. You take it into yourself. And we take in not just ideas about God. Alright? Not just moral uh, lessons or, 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 or rules. We take in the divine nature. Alright? God's nature. His personality. His personhood. Wow! So when, when we're called to be like Christ, it's actually given to us and we're allowed to live that out. Alright? Does that make sense? It's a powerful, powerful promise. Uh, Jesus goes, I have to go continue. The next verse in, in the Sermon on the Mount goes, And what man is there who among you, if a son asks for bread, will give him a stone, or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, being evil how, and know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more <coughs> excuse me, will your Father <coughs> who is in heaven good, give good things to those who ask Him? So Jesus, as is His custom, we found throughout the sermon, makes a point and then follows it with some illustration. Jesus is a good preacher. Jesus is challenging us to think of God in terms of something that's relatable or understandable, like how you treat your kids. So no parent would give their kid a stone instead of a loaf of bread. You know, Dad, I'm hungry. Oh, here's a loaf of bread. Dad, I'm hungry. Here's a stone. You know? <laughs> Something maybe we'd like to, <laughs> depending on how they've been behaving. Oh, oh. 
You know, if your kid's hungry, you know, hey, little booby, you're hungry, let me give you some fish. Here's a little live snake. You know, that's silly. All right? And if it's silly uh, to compare it to humans, uh, um, then it's silly that God would, to think that God would give us something harmful when we present our request to Him. And the idea here is that God gives good things. All right? God gives everything good comes from heaven above, right? Yes. He's a good God. He's a loving Father. It's amazing how much the, uh, Jesus and throughout the New Testament is just a continually, and it's all through the Old Testament too, but sometimes it's, it's a little harder to see. You have to study it a little deeper. Is that God is constantly trying to give good things. And people rebel and so they get bad consequences. But God's intention is always to give good. Right? Now, if for some reason you haven't yet received, don't give up, but rather ramp up. Yeah. And what happens is often people judge God as being evil. Now, you wouldn't actually say that, but this is how your mind works. And I challenge you to consider this. Uh, if you don't get your prayers answered, if something you're longing for, something that's been promised from God doesn't come, then sometimes we think, well, God must have, must have been giving this evil thing to me, uh, requiring us to suffer something bad, uh, as though He were some bait-and-switch salesman. And God's not that way. And this happens often in situations like healing. And so, well, if God hasn't answered my prayer yet, this healing must be from God. Listen, sickness is just a precursor to death. And Jesus came to give us life, and life more abundantly. Right? So you have to get, out of, get it out of your mind. You have to renounce the idea that God made you sick. Don't ever say this sickness is from God. Alright? It's not. Because Jesus died to take your sickness on the cross. And when you start accusing God of giving you sickness, you're actually making a judgment in your mind. Alright? That God doesn't give good things. He gives sickness. He gives evil things. And that's a judgment. Rather than being persistent and saying, I don't understand why I haven't received my healing yet, but I believe that God is good and His power is going to overcome this. And see, bottom line, if you are a Christian... All right? And if you die with a sickness, you're still going to receive 100% healing. Because it's not just in this life that we have hope. Because Paul says, and the Bible says, if in this life only we have hope, we are, we are of all men most to be pitied. All right? We are looking for a resurrection. And so the ultimate truth is, I'm going to have a body with no sickness, no weakness, no acne, no obesity, no sore knees in the morning, right? <laughs> no sore throats, no asthma, nothing! But I believe that I can have a foretaste of that in the present. Okay? Right? So I believe for healing, that sickness. Now, uh, now there is a thing. Um, Jesus says, if you being evil, uh, uh, He doesn't have a problem referring to man's essential sinless sinfulness. Alright? Jesus never shied away from speaking the truth. Uh, we are broken. We're corrupt. But even in that state, we know how to give good gifts uh, to our children. And Jesus uses this term. Once again, He's used it a lot through the sermon. He says, <clears throat> Your Father in Heaven. 
Uh, God is our Heavenly Father. And it's directing that the understanding of this and all of what Jesus says and really all of what the Bible is communicating is an understanding of, of Jesus uh, as, as, a, as a Lord, God in Heaven, as a Heavenly Father. And that there's uh, no reluctance on God's part to give us good things. Right? There's no reluctance. God isn't reluctant. And so persistence in prayer is not for God's sake. It's for our sake. Alright? Uh, 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 we don't have to manipulate <clears throat> or convince God. And this radically uh, changed my prayer life. Years ago, I was praying for something. I was just, I'd been really praying for something. I was in my car alone. I remember, it was in the parking lot of, of Maple Hill Mall. <clears throat> and I was just, God, please, please, God, please. I was going on and on and on. And I heard God say, as clear as a bell, He said, don't, don't beg, don't beg from me. You're not a beggar. You know? And it was a rebuke. I'm like, wow. I guess I was begging. I had to, it doesn't mean that, you know, I'm not persistent, but I'd gotten into attitude that I wasn't approaching God as a father that loved me and wanted my best. I was approaching him as though I were a, a beggar on the street clanging a cup trying to get the attention of someone that doesn't even know me. And like if I clanged hard enough, and sometimes we pray and we think if we pray loud enough or if we cry hard enough or if we believe hard enough or if we just do something right, then God will answer the prayer. And that's not the prayer that God is talking about. That's not the communion that we have with our Father. He's a Heavenly Father. He has no reluctance. Oh, He wants to give us good things. <clears throat> Let's go on. Luke 11:13. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? I purposely have not, throughout this series, referred to the Sermon on the Mount version uh, in Luke. <clears throat> it's practically the same. There's some differences. But, and the reason I did that is that it wouldn't have been a year-long series. It would have been a two-year-long series. All right? But this verse really is key because Luke's uh, version gives us uh, 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 more information that um, uh, Jesus said uh, uh, that he, the Father would give the Holy Spirit to him who asks. And so, wow! The person of God, the Holy Spirit, actually dwelling within us. Uh, the, God's person, God's power, God's presence. And so that becomes the source of all godliness. Kingdom righteousness. Remember what we were talking about? Asking you shall receive. And that, and that we were asking for kingdom righteousness. We were asking for everything that Jesus had been talking about. How can we possibly live to that standard? Well, if we receive the Holy Spirit within us, that's the power source. Okay? That's the dilithium crystal. dilithium <laughs> crystal. Sorry. That's for the old people. <laughs> Alright? How many know what I'm talking about? Oh, come on. Dilithium crystal, Scotty? That's a Star Trek, it's a Star Trek reference, sorry. It's an old TV show. Therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the province. Very important. <clears throat> ah, I gotta hurry. I'm over. This is law important. Uh, <clears throat> 
No, this is known as the golden rule. One of the uh, uh, Roman emperors actually had it written in gold on his, on his wall. That's why it's called the golden rule. The commentator on this verse says that the specific ethical teaching of the Sermon on the Mount comes to its climax in this verse. This is the climax of the whole of Jesus' teaching on ethics. And the word so links this verse not with the immediate preceding verse, but with the whole teaching of the sermon so far as it relates to our attitude towards other men. Boom. The rule which follows, this golden rule, presents in a nutshell the greater righteousness, the distinctive behavior and attitude expected of the disciple. Now listen, I found this out in the study, as I was studying this, I think it's very important. The negative version of the same saying, which goes like this, do not do to others what you don't want done to you, was actually a common teaching in Jesus' day. Alright? And it's found in many, many, most, almost all religions. But so, so think of this, everybody in Jesus' day, when he said this, they had heard at least one, if not countless, teachings at, at, by the rabbi in a synagogue about do not do unto others what you don't want done to you. It was a very common, famous teaching. In fact, the great rabbi Hillel said this is the, of the negative version of it. He said this is the whole law. The rest is commentary. All right? Almost exactly what Jesus said. But it's interesting. Jesus takes something familiar and he turns it just a little bit, and he makes it radically different. Took this familiar saying, changed it a little bit. He exponentially increases the expectation on his disciples. Alright? The Life Application Bible uh, on this verse says this, By stating it positively, Jesus made it more significant. It's not very hard to refrain from harming others. It's much more difficult to take the initiative in doing something good for them. The golden rule, as Jesus formulated it, is the foundation of active goodness and mercy. Alright? Actively. And the kind of love that God shows us every day. Again, going back to reproducing God's character, God's nature in us. He doesn't just... You know, aren't you glad that God just doesn't do to you what He doesn't want done to Him? Yeah. <laughs> right? But rather, every day He makes the sun rise. He makes the rain to come. He makes the leaves to change colors. He did all... Everything He does, He does not, not to bless Himself, but to bless others. Alright? And Jesus is saying that's how, that's what the kingdom is. That's what being a Christ follower is all about. Uh, <clears throat> and so one of the most respected teachers of the Old Covenant said that's what summed up uh, the law. Don't harm others. But Jesus turns it around and says, this is the law and the prophets. And when he says that, he's basically saying, this is the whole of the revealed will of God. Alright? Do to others what you would want them to do to you. Be active in implementing the righteousness of God. Alright? Jesus isn't changing <clears throat> what the law taught. Alright? He's revealing what it had always taught. But it wasn't fully understood, even by the best of the rabbis. Alright? And, but listen, by, because we know Jesus, you can understand the law, the prophets, the Old Testament, as well as the New Testament, better than any of those Old Testament Hebrew scholars that memorize. You know, most of them have memorized the whole Old Testament. But you can understand it better. You know why? Because you know Jesus. Yeah. Yes. Alright? And you have the Holy Spirit in you. 
And so Jesus' words changes how you can read those verses and not come up with, oh, it all means don't hurt others. No, Jesus is saying, well, yeah, it means don't hurt others, but it means beyond that. And so this gets to the thing that we are to exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. How can we live more holy than the scribes and the Pharisees? Well, Jesus is saying they ultimately didn't understand the basics of of what God was saying. And let me tell you the basic. The basic is, do unto others as you'd have them do to you. Don't just not hurt them. Actively love on them as God does. And in doing that, we exceed. <clears throat> this is why this verse is the climax of Jesus' teaching on, on ethics. Because he redefines uh, it from simply limiting harmful behavior and uh, changes it to pursuing and implementing blessing. Who are you going to implement a blessing to today? How can you implement blessing? How can you actively do good? All right. Uh, how can you represent, represent this extravagant, extravagant heavenly Father? How can you be His ambassador just to bless somebody, just to just to do something? It doesn't have to cost a lot. Sometimes just saying thank you yeah. to people who never hear thank you. Amen. You know, instead of complaining to the waitress, compliment her. You know, little things. Uh, Jesus even turns the understanding of personal righteousness from being inward focused to being outward focused. Mm -hmm. This is Jesus' summary of ethical teaching. He says it's all about how you treat others. All right, that's the end. Uh, Bill has some announcements. Welcome him. All right. I do have some announcements for you this morning. Uh, The first 